Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you for tuning in once again. I love you guys. Thank you for all your support. I'd like to thank our sponsors, uh, Siegfried and Jensen, Wasatch Recovery, and Veracity Networks. Guys, I can't tell you how much it means that you guys believe in me. Thank you for tuning, you know, for sponsoring this because it's getting the word out to so many people. We are trending on iTunes and Google Play. It's It just blows my mind. I can't believe that that's where we're at, but it's because we have amazing people come on and today's no different. Today, we're joined by Randy Havison. Randy, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, Todd. I'm really excited about this conversation. Yeah, me too. You know, we were just talking off air how we have so many parallels about our stories. And so this is going to be a great conversation. A um, little bit background on Randy. He's a dynamic speaker, life coach, a TEDx speaker where he gave a beautiful talk, which I've seen a few times now and listened to called Becoming Our Own Best Friend. Fantastic talk. Um, he's a best-selling author. Uh, he's written two books, The Eagle Cleanse, becoming your own best friend, and then party with a plan. <laughs> mm-hmm. And know the code 0123, which we're going to talk about. Um, he speaks at businesses, colleges, uh, to young kids, adults. I mean, he's all over the place doing good things. He's overcome addiction um, in his own life, which again, um, I can relate to that as well. He just is a guy that loves to loves to live. I mean, the biggest thing I get from you, Randy, is you love life. Yeah, that's... yeah. I am passionate about living life one day at a time. Yep. And I've noticed that from you. And again, I'm grateful for that. So why don't we start, Randy? Tell us where you grew up and a little bit about your childhood. Sure. I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, Actually, when I was four and my sister was three, we lived in Minnesota. I was born there. And my parents came out from Minneapolis in December to go visit my uncle And we left and it was 10 below and we got to LA and it was 73 degrees. And my mom said, Al, what the hell are we doing in Minnesota? (laughs) (laughs) What are they? I heard once they said the state bird in Minnesota is the mosquito. Yes. Yes. Is that true? (laughs) It is true. And there are actually two types of mosquitoes in Minnesota. There are the kind that fit through the screen door and the kind that can open it. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So dad was an accountant. Um, He dropped out of school when he was a sophomore in college because he was married and was having a kid. So he got a job as an accountant, was really good with numbers. And my mom said, you can get a job as an accountant in California. Let's move. So they packed up their two kids and everything that they had in a beat up Chevy, 300 bucks in his pocket. And we moved from Minneapolis to L.A. And he got a job as an accountant and we lived in this little apartment. I think my sister and I shared a room. Um, And then my dad didn't like that office. So (laughs) he worked for another accountant office. And one of his clients was a real estate developer and said, Al, I'm investing in some real estate. Do you want to go in with me? You seem like a good guy. Let me help you out. And my dad was like, oh, I don't know. And my mom said, you know, I heard investing in real estate in the 1960s is a really good idea, especially in LA. Yeah. So he started investing in real estate and it started to go really well. And he started to buy buildings with other people and this guy, and he quit his job as an accountant to become the property manager for the properties. And it just continued to grow. And our houses got bigger and bigger. Uh, we started going to private schools and we were going on trips to Hawaii and you know all that stuff was kind of thrown at me and they didn't know how to handle all that. You know, my dad's the epitome of the American dream. So as I started getting older, I was disconnected from what I had and who I was. Mm. I had no idea who I was, but I thought because I had the clothes and the cars and, and the cute girls on my arm and the nice houses, that meant that I had worth. So I look now that that kind of created the framework for my self-esteem work now 
that our society tells us that ego and self-esteem are the same thing. That if you have, you know, a certain points per game, yeah. if you have a certain GPA, if you look a certain way, if you, you know, whatever it is, that gives you more worth. So on the outside, it looked like I had everything, but on the inside, I was dying. Mm. I had nothing. I compared myself with everybody else and I always came out less than. You know, I wasn't the best athlete. I wasn't the best academic. I wasn't the best musician. So I always felt less than. And, you know, that mind power type thing. I don't know if you've heard of that before. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But <laughs> I grew up with this idea that I was my outside and that disconnect uh, ate me alive. And I realized, yeah. you know, I'm a very sensitive person and being a sensitive male growing up in the 70s, uh, you know, made fun of. You know, you oh, are you some kind of a sissy? Are you a little girl? You want me to buy you a dress? Yeah. So I was always put down for being more sensitive. Okay. Uh, you could always tell, you know, my whole life, you could tell what I was feeling by the look on my face. You know, yeah. in my addiction days, I could cover that up. But for the most part, you know, it's like you could tell and people are like, oh, what's wrong with you, little baby? But yeah. now I've realized that that emotional sensitivity is actually one of my greatest strengths. Yeah. It's a superpower, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. I think most kids, you know, go through that on some level. Obviously, yeah. we're trying to, to prove ourselves, but we end up comparing ourselves. And therefore, yeah. we kind of beat ourselves up. And I know you talk a lot about that with the work you do now, which is really impressive, which we'll get to. So as a kid, though, were you, I mean, before you realized that being sensitive wasn't maybe the, you know, manly thing to do. Uh, you, again, the way you live your life now, Randy, you're very rambunctious. You're, you're energetic. You're, you're high level. Were you that way as a kid too, before you started kind of maybe being a little more, you know, feeling like you're being beat down a little bit? I was, but again, it was, you know, I'm also severely ADD. So I, I'm always looking for that next shiny object. <laughs> and so I was always told I was very intelligent, but yet my schoolwork always suffered. And right. back when I was in school, no one ever talked about ADD. So right. I was always happy and, and jumping around and having fun. And I remember my mom, my dad, other people, it's like, hey, just settle down. Come on. <laughs> Don't get yeah. too big for your britches, young man. Calm down. Come on. Just go sit down. I was like, what? Why? No. So I think I had that inside of me, but it was never nurtured. It was never reinforced. It was put down. I was told it was something that was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. uh, so okay. I, I always felt, again, that disconnection. I yeah. never felt like I clicked in and that I never caught my stride. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and that's tough when, uh, when you know, when you're actually going through it, but you know, when I hear of some of my clients, I work with a lot of younger kids too, who's saying the exact same thing you're saying, Randy. So um, you talked about, you know, I mentioned that, you know, you've overcome an, a, a drug addiction. Mm -hmm. Talk about how did that start playing a role in your life? And when did you get started with, uh, I guess, just trying those, uh, those avenues out? Uh, I think, you know, alcohol was first, I think it was, you know, 13, every now and then, mm -hmm. but it really started at 15 when I smoked uh, marijuana for the first time. Okay. And, you know, the first time nothing, everyone told me, Oh my God, this stuff's really great. And I did it the first time. I'm like, what? Nothing happened. What's the yeah. big deal. <laughs> so I went, okay, yeah, I'll do it again. And I did it again. And the way I describe it, it's like Dorothy and the wizard of Oz is living in Kansas in this black and white world. And then all of a sudden it was like, boom, and the door opened and I was in technicolor and I was in Oz. And it was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And when I smoked, I didn't care that I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't care what my grades were. I felt like I was free. And I started experimenting with different varieties of marijuana and hash and hash oil and all the derivatives. And then when yeah. I was 17, someone said, hey, you want to try some cocaine? And I was like, oh, man, no, that's like hard drugs. They're like, no, it's just cocaine. It's not hard drugs. Right. Just try it. And I did my first line of cocaine and I felt like Superman. Right. And because I was ADD, that was actually me self-medicating. So I actually felt normal for the first time, 
where other people like, oh, I'm paranoid. I'm like, and I'm thinking, yeah. oh my God, I feel great. Wow. So I just kept doing more cocaine and my grades went up. I did better on the baseball team. My coach went from, oh my God, what happened to you? The, the change from last year right. to this year is amazing. Whatever yeah. you're doing, keep it up. And I was like, <laughs> right on coach. I can do that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so I started doing cocaine on a more regular basis and did anything I could do in order to get more money, to get more cocaine, uh, but still had to wow. kind of keep it mellow because I'm living at home. And then I graduated high school, went to college. And now it's like the leash was off and I just ran wild. Um, I was on academic probation after my second semester there at Oregon State, but I was having a great time. I had lots of girls around me. I was the guy, hey, yeah. Randy, what's going on, man? Good to see you. I'm like, who are you? Yeah. But I was the party guy from LA who was bringing up the good cocaine and had the good weed. And so I, that's where I built my identity. And you know how it goes. It starts out like you're on that roller coaster. Everything's fun. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the track disappears and you're flying. And it's like, holy shit, what am I going to do now? Yeah. So as you're going through this, did your family or friends know that you were, you were partying like this and you were struggling? And did you, did you talk about those kind of things or did you just kind of mask it with everything that you were doing? Yeah, my parents, you know, what's wrong with you? I'm like, nothing. I'm fine. No, don't worry. But you know, my teachers and my, you know, it was always everybody else's fault. And right. I didn't take responsibility. I remember one time they said, we're going to put you in counseling. We got to figure out what's going on. So I went to a therapist and I lied to him and I just tell him. And I, you know what? It's funny. I haven't talked about this before in a long, long time. I remember one time he kept digging. He's like, well, how do you really feel? How do you really feel? And finally, it was like, you fine. You want to know how I feel? I'm angry and I'm scared and I'm sad and I don't know. And I just let it all. It was like, it was like a verbal vomiting. Vomit. And yeah. I just, bleh. and you know what he did? He cried. And I thought, oh my God, when I tell people how I'm really feeling, it hurts them. I'm not going to do that again. Right. And that was it. No more feelings. So I really just stuffed everything inside. I didn't see him anymore. Actually, I did see him once when I hit my bottom. Um, I didn't know what to do. So I called him. I said, can I come have a session with you and my mom? I want to tell her what's going on. It was like, yeah, sure. Tell her whatever you want. And I said, you know, I'm a drug addict and alcoholic and I need help and I don't know what to do. And he just sat there like, uh, 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 I don't know. So wow, he didn't know anything about addiction or what was going on. Um, but they knew something was going on, but they didn't know what it was. Yeah. Um, so it just continued and continued until I hit my bottom. So talk about that, Randy. I, and, I, you know, the majority of my listeners that are listening to this, have either been through addiction or they have a family member who's going through it. And so this is going to be very helpful for them. And I know sometimes it's hard to talk about that, but what was your bottom? What, when did you decide, man, I got to change my life. This isn't working. It was May 16th, 1984, which just happened last week. Congratulations. So this is like, this is my holy time between the 16th and the 28th. So it's pretty cool to be here doing this. Dude. Yeah. I mean, like you said earlier, Hey, every, everything happens on the timing it needs to. And Absolutely. I didn't know this. I had no idea about this. Yeah. I know. That's awesome. And when I set it up, it was like, Oh, look at that. <laughs> so May 16th, I got the letter from San Diego state university saying that I was expelled for the second time. Mm. A month before that I had been fired from my job delivering pizza. And when I got that letter from San Diego state, I thought, you know what? I can't keep a job. I can't stay in school. My parents are sick of my shit. I, you know what? I'm done. I, I felt like I painted myself in the corner and I had no way out. Yeah. And I thought, okay, how am I going to do this? And I was living with my sister at the time. So I thought I'll just put a note on my door that says, don't come in, just call 911. I'll sit in the bathtub so that I don't make a mess for anyone to have to clean up. Wow. And I went over to my closet, got out a dive knife that my parents gave me as a gift one year. And I knew if you were serious, you cut up your arm, yeah. not across. And then I thought, well, can you cut one and switch hands and cut the other? I don't know. And I thought, well, let me just slice open my throat instead of one slice and I'm out of here. So I looked up into the mirror to see where to start. 
And I made eye contact and went, what the heck are you doing? Yeah. Oh my God. And I had that burst, that moment of clarity where I thought, oh my God, I have a drug problem. And that was the first time that it actually occurred to me. You know, if anyone who had said, dude, you're partying too hard, you got a problem. I had a cocaine dealer that told me, I'm not selling to you anymore, dude. You got a problem. Really? You know, it's bad when your coke dealer turns it off. (laughs) You know, it's really bad when that happens. Yeah. (laughs) When your intervention is from your coke dealer. Yeah. It's really, really bad. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So then it was like, okay, well, you know, one of the reasons I do talks mostly to college students about alcohol and other drugs is because one of the things I talk about is all those years while people are telling me to just say no, no one ever taught me what to do if I had a problem. Yeah. And I had no idea until all of a sudden I had this flash of a memory from a couple years before that I was walking across the street with my buddy, Todd, who since is dead from a heroin overdose. Mm. Um, And I saw a billboard that said drug problem. If so, call 1-800-BE-SOBER. And I thought, I'm going to call that number. And it took me about 45 minutes to get the courage to actually pick up the phone and dial the numbers. And I did it. And the phone rang and the woman answered and she said, be sober hotline. And I said, hi, um, uh, I think I have a drug problem. And she said, hey, well, thanks for calling. And we and she just took over the conversation from there. And she told me that she was in recovery for a year and a half. I was like, oh, my God, a year and a half with like nothing. (laughs) And she gave me that one thing that I needed. And the thing that you get to do every week with this thing, she gave me hope. Yeah. You know, that's the key. And I thought, you know, I don't know why, but I have this, if she can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And that was the last day that I used cocaine or marijuana. I mean, I drank 11 days later because I'm not an alcoholic. I mean, no way I can just (laughs) have a couple drinks. So I had a couple drinks and a couple more and a couple more. And before I knew it, I spent all my money on alcohol and woke up the next day and went, ah, shit, I'm an alcoholic too. (laughs) So that's why May 16th is, is that bottom day, but May 28th is my actual sobriety date. And uh, on this May 28th, next week, I'll have 37 years (laughs) without a drink or a drug. Yes. Thank you, dude. I'm serious. Congratulations. That's amazing. Um, I, that is not an easy thing. I mean, no. I've been through it. So I know what that is like to be able to go little on one day, but yet alone go that many years. So congratulations, Randy. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And thanks for sharing that too. And I know um, a lot of people are, are listening to this, you know, they're always, they're either struggling themselves and they're wondering, when am I going to have that, you know, clarity moment like you had when you looked yourself in the mirror and went, what am I doing? And but then they're also wondering, how do I get a loved one who's struggling oh. to have that? I mean, sure, you hear this all the time. Yeah. What do you, you know, and that's a tough question, isn't it? Like, what do you say? It's really, really hard. And you know, part of it is until they're ready, nothing can happen. But I also believe in the power of intervention. Yeah. And to sit down and what I tell people is number one, if you're going to confront someone that you're concerned about being an addict or an alcoholic, the number one thing to remember is to never, ever confront them while they're high or drunk. Right. Never, never, ever never. do that. That's <laughs> always going to turn out bad. Never going to go well. Yep. No. And when you do confront them, confront behaviors rather than attitudes, rather than when you get drunk, you're a real jerk. You know, that's not going to work. But to say, I get scared when you get drunk. And last night you said you weren't going to drive drunk anymore. And last night you drove drunk. You said you weren't going to talk to me that way anymore. And last night you were drunk and you talked to me that way. So confront the behaviors, not the attitudes. And that tends to go really well. And I also suggest watch the words that you use. Stay away from words like worried. I'm really worried about you because, you know, in their mind, What are you worried about? I'm fine. Look at me. So worry doesn't work. The word that tends to work really well is concerned. I'm really concerned about you. You said you were going to take a break from drinking for a couple of weeks. And that was two days ago. And you got drunk again last night. So I'm concerned that you have a problem because what are they going to say? Oh, don't be concerned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't sound as well as, as good. So that is a word to use, but just 
keep talking to, but it's important for people in relationships with those who are addicted to have your boundaries. When is it enough? And sometimes you walking away could be the thing that gets them to do something different. I mean, if you're just saying, you got to stop, I'm going to stay, but you got to stop, you got to stop. It it just becomes a broken record and they're not going to take you seriously. So it's important to take care of yourself too. Boy, I like that. Very good advice, Randy. Thank you for sharing that. That's really good. You know, so you have this clarity moment and then obviously you're doing all these amazing things. You know, you're you're the founder of the Rise organization, which I want to know more about. Um, You're a guy that loves to have deep conversations you're a fun guy, obviously, you're energetic. And I love that about you. And you're doing a lot of good. When did you decide after you got clean, that you were like, you know what, I want to I want to give back, I want to help, I want to write a couple books, I want to, I want to speak to people, I want to share my, my light to other people. When when did that all come about? It was not my plan. (laughs) (laughs) You would have told me 37 years ago that I'd be here today. I would have said, you must be high and whatever you have (laughs) must be really, really good. I never in a million years did I think I would be here, but I had amazing mentors along the way that I actually listened to. Um, I remember when I, you know, my sponsor said, why don't you go talk to someone at your college? Maybe now that you're clean, they'll let you back in. I was like, no, they, they told me they didn't want to hear it from me anymore. They said, well, did that stop you when you were looking to get high? Did you find a way to make it happen? I was like, of course. Okay, we'll put that into your recovery too. So I made an appointment with the assistant dean of the College of Sciences at San Diego State University. And I went in and I said, the reason you kicked me out is because I'm a drug addict and I'm an alcoholic. And here's my 60-day chip from Cocaine Anonymous. And my recovery is important to me. And I really want another chance. And she said, you know, I've been doing this for 20 something years. I've never given anyone a third chance until now. I'm going to give you one more chance. You go take experimental psychology. If you get a C or better, I'm going to let you back into the college. I was like, okay, no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And here's how this thing works. I, of all the sections of experimental psych, I picked one. I don't know why. Yeah. And I went in the first day of class and the professor was talking about, well, this is what we can expect and this is what you're going to do. And and afterwards, I went up to her and I said, hey, I just want you to let to know that I'm on probation and I need a C or better in this class. And I'm going to work really hard to make that happen. I'm in recovery and it's important for me to get back in school. She said, why did you pick this section? I was like, "Uh, I don't know. I like the time that it was. (laughs) Okay. I've been an Al-Anon for 25 years Okay. and I'm going to support you. I'm not going to do it for you. You're going to have to do the work, but I will support you through this process. And that's been the song of my recovery. The right people come in at the right time and I see the signs and I don't ignore them. My therapist, I just sent him an email today said, Hey, happy anniversary. 37 years ago, yesterday, we had our first session with each other. And we're still in contact with each other today. And I would watch these people at meetings that, and I I wanted what some people had, but not others. You know, I'd watch the guy with 20 years sitting in the same seat, drinking a barrel of coffee at eight o'clock at night, talking about how spiritual he was and quoting the same phrase from the big book over and over and over. I'm like, you know what, dude, I do not want what you have. And that's when I realized that there was a difference between being sober and being in recovery. Yeah. Being in recovery is really taking a look at who you are, what you've done, you know, like going in depth with those 12 steps to figure out who you are, where you fit, what you're about. And I dove deep and I did the work. And today I like to say I'm in recovery and I've had moments where I'm barely sober and barely hanging on. But I just keep walking. You know, it's like Dory in, in Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming. You know, just one foot. <laughs> just sometimes it's just yeah. one foot in front of the other. Today, yeah. just get out of bed and have breakfast. That's it. Yeah. That's all you have to do. Yeah. And then after that, decide what you're going to do next. So yeah. it's it's baby steps. And the more I did that, the better life got. And at nine months, 
my mom came to me and said, hey, my friend Jan is the vice principal of a high school and they're starting this just say no to drugs program and they need a speaker. Do you want to go speak? And I was like, oh, I've talked at meetings before. Sure, I can go do that. <laughs> and I've been a drummer in rock bands. I've been on stage in front of thousands of people. <laughs> I can do that. Right. <laughs> so my first presentation, and I think they paid me $200, <laughs> was in front of a thousand high school students who didn't want to be there. <laughs> Boy, and I got up there, I was sweating bullets. I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to say. And these words just started coming out of my mouth. And it was like, I went into a, a whiteout. It wasn't a blackout because I wasn't drunk. It was a whiteout. I have no <laughs> idea. But all I know is I said, and uh, thanks for listening. And I got a standing ovation wow. from a thousand high school students. And that rush of yeah whoa seriously i want to do this again <laughs> yeah so that's when i started looking for opportunities to speak because it seemed like i had a gift for doing that wow i love so that i just fell into it yeah i love that randy and i think you point out a very profound and important thing in recovery i've heard it said once from a good friend of mine simon sinek he said, if you master the first 11 steps of AA, you will drink again. If you master step 12, you'll never touch another drop. Bam, drop right? the mic. Drop Absolutely. the mic. Absolutely. And that's what happened to you. You had this moment of you got up there, you were vulnerable, you shared your story to a bunch of kids in the beginning who didn't want to be there, but they obviously caught hold to what you were saying and were like, wow, this guy's genuine. This guy's real. And you get this standing ovation. There's no drug on the planet that can no. give you that. No, no, nothing. And here's what I've learned here. I'm going to share this secret with you. Okay. Shh, don't tell anybody. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> here's the gift to all of the good stuff that's going on. That is possible. Anybody who's listening now, if you think, oh, that's good for those guys, but that is not going to happen to me. Yeah. I said the same thing. I've watched people, oh, well, great for them, but that's not going to happen to me. Yeah. My belief is that anything is possible if you just get out of your own way. And wow. here's the secret. Two words are the secret to everything in recovery. Actually, happiness in life for people who are in recovery or not. And that's okay. gratitude and service. Find things to be grateful for, no matter how small and right. find ways to be of service in your life. You know, what I, I do in the morning, I hit my knees. And I'm like, okay, God, what are we going to do today? Yeah. You know, thank you. Number one, thank you for the gift of a new day. Yeah. Show me what I can do to be of service today. And, and that's how I live my life. When I get into situations, what can I do to be of service? And today was an easy one. My service for today, we're doing it right now. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. service. For sure. And, and there were uh, there are other little ways around the world. Uh, I met someone today who works with foster kids. I'm like, how many foster kids do you work with? She said, usually 20 at a time. I said, can I give you one of my books for each of the kids? I mean, I'm happy to donate 20 books to you. She's like, oh my yeah. God, really? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Why would I not do that? So I look for ways, no matter what's going on, to be of service. You know, one of my favorite things, when I, I live here in Orlando, I go to Disney a lot. I'm a huge Disney fan. One of my favorite things to do is when I see a family taking a photo and mom is taking a picture of dad and the kids or dad's taking a picture of mom and the kids. Now I go up to him and say, you know what? I'm vaccinated. Can I take a picture of all of you so all of you can be in the picture? Yeah. Like, oh my God, thank you. So this yeah. is going to be the only picture we have in three days of all of us together. Yeah. That's being of service. Yep. You know, it's not, I'm going to go work half a day at Habitat for Humanity. I'm going to go work at a food. I mean, you can do those kind of things, but service can be holding a door open for someone. Yeah. Someone looks like they're having a rough day. It's like, hey, how are you doing today? So service is a really simple thing. And when we can live with that, you know, I'm always looking for ways to be of service and looking for ways to find gratitude. Oh, I have so many things to be grateful for today. Yeah. And when I can focus on that rather than, oh, here are the things that are not going well in my life. Right. You know, where I put my mindset. Oh, like that poster on the wall behind you mindset. Yeah. It's about service and gratitude. And if you can live that way, you'll never be miserable another day in your life. 
I mean, you'll have bad days. I have bad days. I have like 12 bad days a year. Yeah. And I allow myself to have them. Yeah. And then when it bugs me, oh, you seem like you're in a bad mood. Cheer up. I'm like, today, I don't want to. (laughs) I'm going to be miserable today. Right. Yeah. Just allow yourself to be wherever you're at and what you're doing without saying, oh, I need to be something different. I need to be this or I want. Nah, just allow yourself to be human. Wow. I love it. I love that, Randy. And yeah, the two, the key, the two words, gratitude and service. Couldn't agree more. I love that. Such good advice, Randy. Real quick, we're going to, I'm going to do a little segue. Why do you love theme parks so much? Why do you love Disneyland so much? Oh, (laughs) really? How much time you got? I'll do the shortened version for you. So when I got sober, my therapist, Charlie, at about six months, he said, you need to learn how to have fun sober. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? I I don't know what you mean. And I was living in San Diego. He said, oh, I need to go to SeaWorld. I said, what? The place with the fish? Yeah, the place with the fish. Go to SeaWorld. I was like, whatever, dude. So I go to SeaWorld and I went, I like dolphins. So I looked at the dolphins. I was like, wow, that was really cool. Then I went to the seal and otter show and I caught myself laughing. It was like, what was that? Right. Then I went to the Shamu show. I was like, whoa. And I watched, I just sat in the aquarium room for like an hour and watched the fish. I thought, okay, this place is really cool. So I turned my one day pass into an annual pass. And anytime life got stressful or I felt like relapsing or whatever, I would go to SeaWorld. Really? I would just, everything would peel off of me and I would just enjoy my time at SeaWorld. And I started to know some of the uh, people who worked there and it was so much fun getting to know them. And then one day a friend said, hey, you want to go to Disneyland? I was like, oh, I haven't been there in a long time. And I went to Disneyland and I remember I walked down Main Street and I saw that castle and that little seven-year-old Randy went, whoa, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just came alive at a whole yeah. new level yeah. and everything was new. And that whole Disney experience, I just loved the whole thing about Disney and moving here, I I got a part-time job at Disney for a while before COVID and the layoffs. It was so much fun, (laughs) but to see behind the magic and how they create this experience for the guests, it's just a really magical place. And I stay young. Um, You know, when I tell people that I'm 61 years old, they're like, you're what? (laughs) And I am. And, and I take care of myself. Um, yeah, I you don't, you don't look 61. Huh? You don't look 61. Oh, thank you. Yes. And, and I don't feel it, yeah, you know, I for my so. 50th birthday, I had a Peter Pan party. And it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun. Oh, it was great. So oh. yeah, I just love going and playing and, you know, that seven-year-old Randy, he comes out and plays now. And, you know, when he was, when I was seven, that part of me was shut down and put down and made fun of and yeah. bullied and wasn't good enough. And yeah. now I hang out with him and he's great. He wants cotton candy. We'll go have cotton candy. Yeah. He wants to go have a hot dog. We'll have, a, well, I might say, oh, maybe not a hot dog, <laughs> but, but I just let him go play. And we have so much fun together. Yesterday we went to Epcot and it was a blast. So find ways to play. Yeah. Yeah. I think you said before we went live, you said work hard, play harder. Yep. That's my motto. That's your motto. And you know, you know, you can see it too. And every, you know, when you're doing your speaking events, um, you know, even in the stuff you write, I mean, you can feel that and you can see that coming from you that you just, again, you're for lack of a, cliche term here. Here we go. You know, you're high on life. Yeah. You really yeah. are. Thank you. And, yeah. And no. I'm glad you see that. But yeah, it's true. Yeah. And when it came to writing my book, you know, being as ADD as I am sitting down and writing a book is pretty much impossible. <laughs> but I found a ghost, right? You know, I'm a believer. If you're not proficient at something, find someone who is to help, help you. Yeah. You know, the recovery process is about learning how to ask for help. We yeah. don't have to suck it up and do it on our own. You, you do not do recovery on your own. It, it yeah. takes a village. Yep. And I hired a ghostwriter and I said, the most important part about this is I want the book written in my voice. Yeah. So that sure. if you know me, when you read the book, you're going to hear me reading it to you. 
Exactly. And there are punctuation mistakes and there are probably grammatical things that aren't 100% right, but it's a book about self-esteem and self-esteem is not perfect. So my yeah. book is not perfect and my presentations are not perfect and who I am is not perfect, but it's about enjoying the parts of me that I like and looking at, well, okay, that's an issue. Do we want to work on that or not? And sometimes it's like, nah, I don't want to do that yet. <laughs> but other times, yeah, I think it's time to take a look at that. Yeah. So it's about kind of reveling in your smallness and just being okay with the imperfect you. Yeah, I love that. You know, you gave a really beautiful talk, a TEDx talk calling becoming your own best friend. And in there, you were talking about some words that we should stop saying. And one of them was the word can't. Oh, the other absolutely. one, the other one was should. Mm -hmm. And the other one was, um, I'll try. <laughs> oh, that so word talk, is like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. Yeah. So let's, let's focus on I'll try. Cause I hear that a lot. Hey, I'll try and do that. Hey, I need you to be on time tomorrow, Randy. Oh, I'll try. Right. Why, why is that? A, you called it a lie. Yeah. Trying thought, is wow. lying. So yeah. Trying is lying. Explain that to our listeners. Okay. Here's the best way that I can explain this. If I ask you to raise your arm, mm -hmm. you raise your arm. Okay. Yeah. Put your arm down. Now what I want you to do, try to raise your arm. Yeah, I could. No, no, no. You, you don't do it. Try to raise your arm. No, now you're not doing it. <laughs> try to raise your arm. Yeah. Okay. Right? Now it's like, uh, I don't know what you're asking me to do. <laughs> right? You either do it or you don't. It's yeah. not, I'll try to quit drinking. Oh, yeah. You, you try to quit drinking, you'll be drunk by the evening. Right. So trying is lying. And mm. I believe that sometimes we do the very best we can and yeah. it doesn't work out. But try is not taking 100% of the responsibility or making 100% commitment for something. Right. So I will do my very best at something and sometimes it doesn't work out. And other times it does. Like uh, the gym that I belong to, Nine Round, for your birthday, they make you do birthday burpees. <laughs> and you have to do one burpee for every year that you've been alive. So Whoa, I went in on lot. my birthday. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't try to do 61 burpees. I did 61 burpees. Yeah. I did it. And I went in thinking, I'll just do my best. And if I'm going to do half this today and half I'll do tomorrow, that's fine because that's the best I can do. I'm not going to try to do them. I'm going to yeah. do my best. Gonna do and them. to do yeah. your best, it's empowering. I'm yeah. going to do the best I can. Whereas I'm going to try comes from a place of weakness and self-doubt. Right. So I'm going to do my best. And I'll, I thought I'm going to do three burpees in between each round. And I found that I was doing five. So I did five burpees in between each round. By the time I'm done, I did 45. I thought I can knock out another 16. Yeah. So I did 16 more. And I did 61 burpees on my birthday. And I don't know how many 61-year-olds you know who can do 61 burpees in a half an hour. Yeah. But I can impressive. because I allow myself to do it. I don't try to do it. And the yeah. best example of try comes from, for any of the Star Wars fans out there, Yoda. Yeah. yeah. You know, Luke's getting the X-Wing out of the water. I'm trying. And Yoda said, no, there is do or do not. There is no yeah. try. Yeah. And I think that stuck with me somewhere. Yeah. And when I was writing my book and doing my presentation, you know, my mentors come from a lot of different places, from movies, from books, from meetings, from yeah. a variety of different. One of the greatest mentors in my life is a nun. And I was raised Jewish. And she was just <laughs> an amazing human being that I learned so much from. So your mentors and teachers can come from anywhere. Yeah. I love that. And I love, again, how, that you just have fun. And that, I mean, you were just talking about how you can see out uh, out of your window up there on your second level, the, the fireworks from Disney World. Yeah, <laughs> I, I picked this lot specifically for that reason. It, yeah. And because she said right there is where the Disney fireworks are. I was like, oh, I get to see them every night. You're and like, I really, sold. really miss them. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> sold. Done. Yeah. 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 No, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. So um, I know, I mean, this is your passion now. Obviously, you, you've written a few books. You wrote another book called um, uh, 
party with a plan. plan. Okay, I was gonna yeah. say plan with a party. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can say it either way. But what what do you mean by that? And why did you write a book about that? Is that I take that as hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna go to a party or have a party, make sure you know what you're doing and what's what's in store for the night. Is that exactly exactly okay. the whole thing is are you in control of the alcohol or is the alcohol in control of you? Mm. So party with a plan gives guidelines for how to drink in a low risk way. You know, okay. right now, what we hear from people is drink responsibly. But what the heck does that mean? You know, you ask five different people to define responsible drinking, you get five different answers. But party with a plan gives a very specific gives very specific guidelines that if you drink this way, zero, one, two, three, then you're a low risk drinker. But the challenge that I put out there, if you do your very best to do the low risk guidelines and you're not able to do them, you have an alcohol problem. Mm. So it basically is going to tell someone if they do have a problem or not. If you're not able to stick to the zero, one, two, three, then you have a problem. And again, mm -hmm. the zero, um, it's, it means that if you have to drive, if you've been sick, if you have a low tolerance, if you're in recovery, yeah. you know, I, one of the things I, I put this in the book and I'm very, very specific about this because I've had people in recovery say, oh, you're telling me that if I'm an alcoholic, that I can drink this way and I can drink again. It's like, uh, you've already proven that you you can't, <laughs> right. <laughs> you have attempted to be a low risk drinker. You failed. Yeah. So no, this is for people. If you're in recovery, then your option is zero at all times. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to mess with the one, two, three part zero is the low risk guideline for me. And I've had people say to me, well, you know, it's been 36 years. Don't you think you could go have a drink now? And what I tell them is, you know what? The dragon is over there in the corner. Yeah. I don't know if he's dead or just sleeping, <laughs> but I don't want to poke him to find out. Right. I just let him be because yep. I do not want him around anymore it just causes so much destruction in my life yeah. that I just let the dragon be there. Why go poke him? Yeah. So wow. zero is the option, but for people who don't have a problem, see if you can do the one, two, three, the one is no more than one drink per hour, meaning a 12 ounce beer, a five ounce glass of wine or a one ounce shot in a mixed drink, uh, no more than two times a week and no more than three drinks. Anytime you go out. Hmm. And I talk to college students about this a lot. And I'm like, here's the zero, one, two, three. And if they say, well, if I'm only going to have three, why bother? It's like, okay, well, that's a statement of someone who exactly. is drinking in a high risk way. Yeah. So don't you want to find out if you have a problem or not? Do the low risk guidelines for 30 days. If you could do it for 30 days, the chance of having a problem are much less. Yeah. Very well said. And it sounds like a very interesting book there. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you, you know you have a lot of things you live by, and one of the things that I caught from you know doing my research on you, Randy, and again I love everything that you do. You talk about how we can overcome anything that life throws at us. Yeah. And yeah. and one I want to say why do you believe that? And maybe maybe speak to the one person right now who's listening to your voice, who's in that dark sp space, going, I don't know how that's even true because I am stuck here. Oh. You're stuck there at this moment, but it is not for the rest of your life. Do one thing today that is mm -hmm. going to help you get out of that space, whether it's calling a hotline, reaching out to a friend, uh, writing in your journal, going to a meeting, something, any, do yeah. anything different from what you've been doing. Just one small step. You know, I watch people, you know, New Year's resolutions are such a setup for failure yeah. because I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell them blah, 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 blah. And they set up 20 things to do. And then one of them doesn't work and they just, oh, forget it. I'm not going to do any of right, them. Yeah. So find one small thing that you can do, you know, reach out, send someone an email. You know, every email that I get, I respond to Randy at randyspeaks.com. Send me an email. I will respond to it. I, I promise it. you that it might not be that day or in an hour. It might take me a couple of days to get to it, but I answer every single email that I get. And I do this 
Every time I do a presentation, I could speak in front of 3,000 people and I give them my email address and I say, send me an email, whatever I can do to support you. I am happy to do that because the way yeah. I look at it, every yeah. day is a gift. Yeah. I should have been dead a thousand times. Yep. So the fact that I'm alive today is because there's someone out there. Oh, there might be someone listening to your show for the first time yeah. that really resonates with what you're saying. They're like, wow, I need to reach out to this guy. So you never know, yeah. you know who it is or when it's going to be. But if I can be that support person for someone, I'm happy to do it. Wow. I love that. Very well said. Beautiful. So what's on the horizon for you, Randy? I know you're already doing a lot of things right now. Do you have any big plans moving ahead or is it just, are you taking life as it comes? What, what are you doing? You know, it's <laughs> funny you say that, Todd. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine who said, you know what? It would be really great if you could teach this stuff to kids. If you could teach them about self-esteem, yeah. that it's not about how many likes they get. You know, you ask a kindergarten class, how many of you can draw? And every hand goes in the air. Oh, oh, I can draw. I can draw. How many of you can sing? I can sing. I can sing. Yeah. But you go into a group of sixth graders and say, how many of you can sing? And everyone kind of looks around at everyone else. Can anyone sing? Yeah. You know, what changes? And I think it's because the, our self-esteem is pounded out of us. Yeah. So they said, wow. you need to do this for kids. And then the next day, someone said, hey, I just found out a friend of ours is doing a whole course on how to set up a curriculum to turn your book into a school curriculum. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I looked into it and I signed up for it. So I am in the process right now of writing a curriculum for the ego cleanse. Nice. And my thought right now, and it could change. But I'm thinking I want to do it for first grade, seventh grade, and 10th grade. Okay. Because each of them is at a different developmental stage. Uh, so to write a curriculum to teach them how to become their own best friend and to turn off that critic in their head, or at least identify when mm -hmm. the critic is start the volume starting to turn up so we can go, oh, hmm. I don't, I don't want to talk to myself that way. And right. I think if we can raise the self-esteem of kids, then we lessen bullying, drug abuse, cutting behavior, you know, all these self-harm type behaviors and bullying happens when ego takes control instead of self-esteem. Yeah. I need to show you that I'm better. On the inside, I feel like I'm dying. So I'm going to hurt myself even more. But people high in self-esteem don't get drunk. They don't bully other people. They don't engage in self-harm behaviors. So I want to work with kids and I want to also teach parents how to work with their kids to raise their self-esteem because that's the thing I hear most often from parents. How can I raise the self-esteem of my child? And I'm going to say it's really, really simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Yeah. Raise your own. <laughs> Love it. You need to work on yours and they will see that. But you cannot teach your child calculus if you don't know calculus. Yeah. So I'm going to have a whole section on the website for the curriculum okay. for cool. parents on how giving them the tools, here are things you can do to reinforce your kid how to raise their self-esteem. But the underlying thing is to help them raise their own. So yeah, I'm in the process okay. of writing my curriculum right now and we'll see how many schools want to get involved with teaching their kids about self-esteem. That's exciting, man. That yeah. is so cool that you're doing that. Uh, again, very well needed too, you know? Yeah. And uh, especially with today with social media and the way that takes over kids' oh. minds. And it's, it's, it's a scary thing that's going on right now in this country, in it the is. world. And yeah. uh, so I'm glad to hear that there's people like you who are creating these programs that can make a difference. Yeah. Beautiful. And also just to let you know and let your audience know, um, yeah. I have my self-esteem workshop that I do in front of audiences. Oh, yeah. I put it on the web and it, at first I was selling it for like 20 bucks. And okay. then I thought, you know what? There's so many people suffering out there right now. I just made it free. Oh, wow. So for anyone who wants to hear my self-esteem workshop, it's on my website, randyspeaks.com. So you just go to the Beautiful. homepage and click on the workshop button and there it is. Wow. That is so cool. That was going to be my next question. If someone wants to reach out to you, Randy, ask you a question, get your books, obviously the workshop you just mentioned, they would go to randyspeaks.com. Yep. And then um, how can they follow you on social media? Oh, okay. I don't like social media. <laughs> I'm, I'm an old I'm guy, you. you know? Oh, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm old school, um, just like you. 
Yeah, I mean, on Facebook, I have an ego cleanse page where if people ask questions, you know, but I I will admit I'm not the best at checking it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do have a Twitter, but I check that even less. (laughs) Social media is not really the best way to get it. I'm an email guy. Okay, cool. Old school email. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you're, you're really trying to practice what you preach, you know, and I am practicing what I preach. I'm not trying. I'm doing it. Thank you. So thanks for correcting me. (laughs) You are doing it. And that's the beautiful thing that you're, you know, you, all these things, you know, the books you've written, the Ted talks, the, the workshops, the, the speaking events you have with everybody, you're out there doing, you're not trying, you are doing, and I do respect that about you, Randy. And thank you. You know, I, I just want to thank you for taking some time today to share your story with us. Um, I feel more energized. I feel better. I'm going to do more doing and less trying. Nice. Um, I love how you said trying is lying. And I think that's a very profound way to say it because it's true. Um, And I I just want you to know how much I appreciate you and and everything that you live, live and stand for. And and I'm glad you didn't take your life because look at all the good you're doing. I know. Yeah. And for anyone out there who's struggling, you're not alone. And if I can do it, you can do it. There's no, like magic, anything that someone said, Oh, here, let me take you in the back and show you the Holy grail. It doesn't work like that. You can have it too. God, do not give up on yourself. Beautiful. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more, man. Well, thank you, Randy. And and thank you everyone for tuning in. Um, Again, I told you this was going to be amazing. Please share this with people, you know, who are struggling. If you have a son or a daughter or a cousin, a wife, a husband, whatever it is, whoever it is, please share this with them because they will be inspired by Randy and also send them to randyspeaks.com and check out his website. And then, Hey, he just told us self-esteem workshop. It's for free. He can charge way more than 20 bucks. You could charge way more for it, but he's going to allow us to look at it for free. Please check it out. I'll put it in the show notes. So you have that as well. And we'll go from there. But uh, thank you for tuning in again, Randy. Thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you so much, Todd. This was this was as much fun as I thought it was going to be. Awesome. <laughs> Same here. Take care, Randy. And uh, best of luck to all you're doing. Thank you. You too. Take, take care. Love you, everybody.